So if you were to ask me uh, what I thought the whole point of the entire Bible, the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament, and then the New Testament would be, I would say, I just want to see, just guess, just throw out a word. What do you think it is? One word, what would you say? You can talk. Love. Yeah, that's what I would guess too. So, okay, we're done, right? We know. That's it. Love. That's what I would say too. It's God's love for humanity. It's God's love for creation. God's love for everything, right? That's the point. And the way we all interpret that can look very different. But, you know, even those scary, crazy stories that sometimes make us think, what kind of God is this? Really what those stories even come down to is love. And, and a lot of times when those stories were written, that was the way that people were able to understand God's love. That was their vocabulary. It was kind of about God wiping the slate clean for people or God shaking people up because God loved them so much and God wanted to get their attention. They had wandered off or they had gone astray and God wanted to show them redemption and show them love and show them mercy. That's the point. It's God's love for humanity. And in Paul's letter to the Romans, what we just read today, just a very small portion of that letter to the Romans, Paul is showing the church in Rome that God's love for all of humanity, all of them, all people, Gentile and Jew, Christian Jews, non-Christian Jews, all people. That's what was happening in Paul's time. So the scripture that we read today is found towards the end of that letter, the end of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And he had already said so much to them by the time we get to this place. So this scripture is found at the end of that letter. And this letter is, is kind of like Paul's theological masterpiece. This is it for him. He's writing to the Roman church, and he's doing so to get them on his team for Jewish and Gentile inclusion. And he's trying to convince the church in Rome to contribute to an offering for a church of people that they've never met, much like what Joe just talked to you about. He's taking up a collection to the, for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, essentially kind of as a peace offering, as a way to say, this is from the Gentile Christians. And he's doing this, and this is Paul's way of, kind of building unity. That's what he's trying to accomplish. So he writes to the Romans to get them on his team for inclusion and to say, hey, will you give to this church? Paul's also essentially defending himself theologically because he hasn't met them yet. He's writing to them to explain himself to them. There are all of these rumors floating around about Paul, and in the age of social media, I know that none of us can understand what that might feel like, right? And so Paul's writing to kind of lay out his theology to them, and he's saying, I'm not a heretic. This is what I believe. This is why I fight for inclusion. This is me. He's just putting it all out there. This is essentially Paul's Twitter response to save his reputation and to defend his character after all the other social media attacks he's faced, but it's a little bit longer than 140 characters. In fact, I might like to see what Paul would do in just 140 characters. A little worthy mention, a side note that really has nothing to do with this specific text, it's also within Romans that Paul mentions Phoebe, that Phoebe is this person who's going to bring this letter to the Romans, and it's in this letter that Paul calls Phoebe a pastor or a deacon. So if you happen to find yourself at Bible Nerd Trivia Night, um, I'm sorry, but if you do, you might just kind of pull this, pull this from the bank. You might win a little, uh, or not little, you might win a major award for that, right, for that little nugget of information. So up until this point in Paul's letter, we've learned the what, and then kind of the so what. Paul has laid out the what. He said that the what is the grace of God, that the grace of God is extended to all people. 
And then the so what is the goal for us to live peaceful, peaceably with all people. And I say us here because that's very important. Paul's prescription is not individualistic. It's plural. He's calling for action from the church. He's not writing to this. He's not writing this to us as individuals. And so in today's reading then, after the what and so what, we find out the now what. Now what's the response? Like Joe was just saying, here is our response. Paul's laying out these instructions. And a few chapters earlier is when we find Paul's statement that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And it's super important, like I said, to pay attention to that pronoun, us. So much of Romans by so many people gets boiled down into, this, into personal salvation. What do you need to do to be saved? And this scripture from today really kind of blows that all up. It says it's not about you, but it's about us. If our resident Texans, Carla and Mike, were here, I think they might encourage you to say all y'all. Can you say that with me? All y'all? Good work. Good work. So when Paul is giving instructions, he's telling us all y'all need to do this. And if all y'all do this, then that amounts to salvation. So I'm going to engage you then a little bit more here, right? If you're able to, let's just kind of put both hands in front of your face. Can you do that? Just put both hands up. Just like this. So the left hand here is going to be the verb, um, and the right hand is going to be the noun. So it's pretty simple the way Paul really kind of acts this out or lays this out. There's a bishop from the United Methodist Church that says it like this. So remember, left hand is going to be first. Love, genuine, right? Hate, evil. Hold, good. Love, one another. Rejoice and hope, and hospitality, strangers. Okay, if they're tingling, you can put them down, right? Good work. Good work. That's just kind of a little easy way to see that it's really a prescription. You have to do this because of this, right? That's it. That's the list that Paul's giving us, and that sounds simple enough. Some of you know this already, but um, I grew up in the furniture business. In fact, that, that business is still the lifeblood for my family, my great-grandfather opened a furniture store in Nevada, Missouri, the first one of them in 1922. It began as a music store and then gradually grew into furniture and music and then appliances and carpet and whatever the community needed over those years. It's seen its changes and it's accommodated those needs. And when I think of my grandfather and now my dad, inspired by his own dad's legacy, I can't help but to think that they're a lot like Jimmy Stewart's character, George Bailey, in It's a Wonderful Life. We all know that in that character, right? They're hard workers, and they both have had a heart for helping their community. They put people above all else, and the people in the community know that. They know where their hearts are. And since it's opening, you know, my family's store from day one did its own financing, and that's what is equated to me in hard times as generosity and patience, and I think that's why I see George Bailey in them. My entire life, I saw people coming in and having kind of private aside conversations with my grandfather and then eventually with my dad. And I knew that after those conversations, my dad or my grandfather would come over with a pencil and make a little note on their account card. And I never really knew what was happening. I knew that sometimes people cried. I knew that sometimes they left looking relieved, that sometimes they left looking ashamed. But that there was always gratitude. I don't know if I would have named it that yet, but as I think back about it, I, I'm pretty sure that's what that look was. And then later on, as I started paying my own bills and kind of growing into my own adulthood, I knew what had been happening in those moments. 
I knew that my entire life I had watched my grandfather and my dad extending generosity to people. People they'd either known their entire lives or people who had been strangers, but because of this were kind of becoming part of my family's community. And where I'm from, everyone has a reputation. I'm sure where we're all from, everybody has reputations. That's probably the case for all of us. And everyone knows what they assume is the truth, right, about everyone else, much like these people were assuming about Paul. But I always, always took comfort, and I still do take comfort in the way that people talk about my dad and my grandfather, because I know that those things are true. I know that my grandfather was a good man and that my dad is a good man. And so when I first heard this story of Mattress Mac in the wake of Hurricane Harvey's devastation in Houston, I was captivated on a variety of levels. I saw him interviewed on the Weather Channel. Do you guys remember when the Weather Channel was really just a channel where you went to get your weather? You remember that? Like local on the eights and it it came on all the time, right? But I saw this on this now really full on cable news channel. I digress, that really really has nothing to do with it, right? But uh, raise your hand if you've heard the story of Mattress Mac on the news. Yeah, so probably half of you have heard about Mattress Mac, right? For those of you who don't know, Mattress Mac is a business owner in Houston. He owns this local change of furniture stores, gallery furniture in Houston. And in the aftermath of Harvey, he opened up two of those stores to host flood victims. And he sent out his delivery trucks that were high enough to drive through the floodwaters, and just those trucks rescued 200 people and they housed them and they fed them and they provided basic necessities to about 400 people staying in these two large gallery furniture stores. They, they are still actually in the process of setting up these little makeshift towns in each store where everyone is helping with administrative tasks, some people are cooking, people are cleaning, people are caring for each other. They're extending hospitality to each other. Even in the face of total devastation, most of these people lost everything that they owned. And when I see Mattress Mac being interviewed on TV or, um, you know, kind of patchy Skype um, e- or Skype interviews that he's having, I, I can't help but to notice his humanity. He was not even selling himself, really, on the interviews that I first saw on TV, which he certainly could have been doing. He wasn't the one talking about how much it was costing him to house the victims every day of the flooding. Other people were saying that. He wasn't the one who brought up the fact that this is the third time his stores have done this. He hosted displaced people in 05 after Katrina and then the tax day floods in Houston in 2016. He opened his store during both of those times to house victims of those floods. But the thing I found striking is that he was the one tweeting pictures of children running across mattresses all pushed together, just mattress upon mattress upon mattress, and the sprints were just happening. He was tweeting those pictures and expressing how much joy it gave him to see that. Now let me tell you, I grew up in a furniture store, and I know that there are rules and there are gray areas. I know when you can get away with pushing all the mattresses together and sprinting across them as fast as you can, and trust me, it's not all that often. I know when you can hide between rolls of carpet and not get caught, but then there are times when sprinting on those mattresses is done because you feel like being naughty, and somehow your parents always know that that's why you're doing it, and then there are times when you do so as an expression of pure joy. And those children staying in that gallery furniture store, when you look at the pictures of them sprinting across the mattresses, it is pure joy that radiates across their faces. When I watched the first interview with Mattress Mac, and then when I went to Google more about him, I typed in M, 
in my Google search bar, the first thing that popped up was Mattress Mac. I couldn't help, though, when I was looking at his interview to kind of make the connection that he operates out of what some call this hermeneutic of generosity, that, that the H of the G, right? That he operates in this way that Paul Farmer coins, wherein one starts with the assumption that people's actions are coming from a good place, right? So Mattress Mac just assumes that what people are doing really comes from a good place. This hermeneutic is hermeneutic of generosity is a way of judging someone's actions and not judging their worth. And all of these people gathered in these two furniture stores represented the spectrum of humanity, the political spectrum, the social spectrum, the race continuum, socioeconomic differences. And when asked about the final loss to, financial loss to his company, he said, I mean, yeah, I'm a capitalist, I'm a business owner, but I'm a social worker first because that's how I was raised. There's no better example of what it looks like to extend hospitality to strangers. Harvey brought devastation like we've never seen and did so for days on end. And its aftermath will continue to do so, to bring devastation and surface more pain and more loss. We're seeing that now every day. And what Mattress Mac could offer to his fellow Houstonians, it won't change the outcome. Just like Joe said, you know, what, what we are doing right now as we think and pray, those people still lost everything. But his hospitality and the hospitality we can extend is changing people's lives. He said, being together in one space is helpful for us all. People don't feel like they're on their own. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that why we sit in here today? I think Paul would also totally agree. Paul is asking the church in Rome not to do all these things to earn God's love, but as a response to the love that God has already given us, as a response to grace. That's why we do these things. If unity is the mode by which grace structures life within the Christian community, like if, if grace is structured because of unity right here in this space, then peace is the mode by which grace structures it with the larger society. That's the way that we extend it. Mattress Mac might not say exactly that way, but he sure is living it. His actions are not contrary to grace. They're made up in a way to, not made up in a way to earn God's favor, but it looks to me like they're a response to grace that He's taken seriously enough in his life to turn into action. You know, as I said earlier, sometimes Romans um, is distilled down to this personal path for salvation. But in this moment, it's not about the personal. If Romans is the path to salvation, and some people say it is, then this, this is the path. It's the living. It's responding to God's grace. It's concrete community actions. It's not the past tense, do it and you're done. You don't ever have to do it again. These are all things that we live into and to con continue to live into our whole lives. It's extending hospitality to strangers. It's holding on to what is good. It's that thing we were doing with our hands. It's getting and letting love be genuine. This weekend, um, my family has been celebrating two big birthdays in our family. My middle sister just turned 30 a couple of days ago, and my mom, earlier in the year, turned 60. And this is the first time that we've all had the chance to be together as a family since that happened. So it was a joint celebration, although in classic uh, middle sister style, my sister said to me, people are forgetting that today is actually my birthday. To which I responded, Marsha, 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 right? Because that's what you do. She's such a middle sister. 
She actually has quite a few chronic health issues and happens to be an introvert. So because of these two things, we don't really typically have a lot of time to chat on the phone. She lives in California, uh, so the time is very different. And then when she gets home from work on the days um, that she does work, she's tired and she just really can't talk. And then on the days that she doesn't work, she's always recuperating and spending that time in self-care. So when we do finally get the chance to be with her, it's pr a pretty big deal. So I got to see her for just a few minutes on the day she arrived. They stopped by our house on their way from the airport to my family's house in Nevada. And after they left, I was missing her even more. Like I'd just gotten a little taste of what it felt like to be together again with my sister. So I'm pretty sure I texted no fewer than 20 times that night just to ask, where are you? How are you doing? What's going on? What are you eating for dinner? What's, you know, asking everything. When did you go to the bathroom? And then the next day I did the same thing and I was FaceTiming as many times as I could. I just wanted to know everything. I wanted to know when they woke up and what their plans were and if they were going to the pool and what they were eating for lunch. And I knew that I would be there with them the next day, but I just didn't want to miss anything in the meantime. So Friday was her actual birthday, and I was up really late on Thursday night doing some work and just happened to look at the clock right, it was like right at midnight, and I just happened to catch it, and I sent her a happy birthday text message then. And she responded the next day when she woke up around 10 o'clock in the morning, right? And, and she responded to that, though, with a picture. And, and under the picture was this caption that just simply said, home. You know, our mom is that mom. She's fiercely loyal. Her kids are never wanting for love or for attention. For my mom, everything, and I mean everything, is a celebration. Everything is. Every award is celebrated. The day after Christmas automatically marks the start for the countdown to sleep till Christmas for next year. Like, she doesn't miss a beat, right? She decorates for every holiday in our home, and she spends so much energy on making sure that that life is fully recognized. So when my sister sent me this picture with this caption, home, she just totally nailed it. The picture was of our family's kitchen table, which we've had for my whole childhood, and the table was covered in a Celebrate 30 tablecloth with, th with 30th birthday napkins and 30th birthday plates and this obnoxious 30th birthday centerpiece. You know the ones I mean these ones, right, where you can buy at a party store that are foil and black and green and gold and silver with little 30s and stars shooting off them everywhere, and like it's so big you can't see across the table. There was a mimosa sitting right here, and then there was a cup of coffee right here, and there were two plates, and the reason there were two plates is because one of them had two eggs and two pieces of buttered toast on them, and the other plate had a giant, it was a plate with a giant ham steak on it. And not just a piece of ham, right, but an entire center-cut ham steak. My sister does not look like the kind of person who could or would eat an entire plate of ham, but center-cut ham is like her favorite thing in the world. It has been since she was little, and my mom knows that. She knows that waking up at 10 to a big old slice of ham and a mimosa is my sister's perfect morning. She pays attention to that stuff, and she creates that sense of home wherever we go. When we go on family vacations, my mom brings apple cinnamon candles to our vacation rental. She makes it smell like home when we go there. She brings Avon hand soap because she sold Avon for 40 years, and she knows that that feels like home to us. Her love is genuine, and it's done with mutual affections, and it's not to gain our favor. 
And it's not to try to impress us or to make us love her more, but her love is a response to being our mother. She creates that feeling of home. She extends hospitality to so many people. When I'm home, it's my parents' house where all of my friends still congregate with their, their kids, and my sister's friends come, and now they have kids. My mom becomes super hospitable, not for our reaction, not to gain favor with our friends, or to become more of a mother to us, but because she already is our mother. The same way that Paul is teaching us to do these things, not, not as a way to become more favorable in God's eyes, but because we already are. That picture to me with the caption, home, that just says it all. And I wonder, how do we replicate that kind of picture in our own lives to show by our collective actions that love, the love that God has already given to us, to show our own hospitality, our own love, our own service? What's that picture? The scripture that we are listening to and heard and read today, the scripture is Paul at its best because he's just pulling right from Jesus, and he never even knew Jesus. This life of faith isn't an invitation into a community or a program. It's an invitation into a new life and into a new way of being and seeing the world and living in it. I love the Common English Bible's translation of the very first line in the scripture. When we read it, we read, let love be genuine. And that's right. It should be. But the Common English Bible says this, love should be shown without pretending. It's Mattress Mac and my mom. No pretense, right? How can we do that today? What's the picture that our city will be able to see and say, that's Country Club Christian Church? Because of the grace of God and by our church's concrete actions, what can we do to show the good news of God to all of creation? What's our picture? Amen.